Well, it's been great to be here, be back here. Lynn and I always enjoy coming, and uh, we just enjoy serving the Lord. Folk, I, you feel sorry for people that don't know Christ as their Savior because they don't know the joy they're, they're missing out on. And We've been at it a long time. Some of you have heard me say it, others not, but uh, coming up third day of July, we will finish 53 years together. And we started out just little country hillbilly kids that didn't know anything much. But we knew this. We, we just wanted to give our lives to the Lord. And uh, God let us go to Africa and spend a good portion of our lives, 20 years there. And then we were, well, I've been from General Santos to Ilocos Norte in the Philippines and most other places in between. You went through my town. Yeah, I know. And I've been all over. And I love, I love the Philippines. I eat Adidas and shoestrings. It's chicken feet and chicken intestines <clears throat> and some other delicacies. Balut, I like balut and eat it. I've eaten it all over the world. Anybody not know what balut is? It's a duck egg the duck's been sitting on about 18, 19, 20 days. It's almost ready to hatch. So they're delicious. The key to eating balut is just don't look at it. You can eat it at night. <laughs> That's what the first, the first one I break was in church in the Philippines. I'd preach Sunday night. Some of our Bible college students, they make their money by, you'll hear them walk down the street, balut, balut. They got a bowl full of them and they sell them. And so they went out and got some and, and brought it into church. And here I am in front of everybody and never eaten one before. I said, would you just tell me, tell me how to eat it? What am I supposed to do? And uh, they did and I did. And then the Filipinos said, uh, Brother Godfrey, we raise both hands to you because we love them, but we eat them in the dark. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a little thing for the children before I get serious business here. But how many of you all, some of you went to the West Coast, know Dan Gardner Jr. He's a missionary in Japan. He grew up in Japan, but he married a girl from Lancaster. And the Lancaster Baptist Church is their sending church. So Dan Gardner Sr. is my age and a long-time missionary in Japan. And Dan Jr. has been there for a long time. So this story goes way back. But in the days when Dan Jr. was just a little guy, and they were on deputation, okay? They were in church, and they had driven. And so Dan Jr. is stretched out on the front, a second pew beside his mother. And he wakes up, and his mother looks over at him, and he's, She said, good night, son. Who gave you chewing gum? He said, mother, nobody gave it to me. There's plenty of it up under here. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I can't help it. Is anybody else like me? I see the funny in things that sometimes other people don't see humor in, but... Uh, uh, let me tell you a story tonight. I've, this week I've told you about our years, at least a, a couple of stories from our years. We lived in the Sahara. Now, literally, we rode camels. Where we grew up in South Carolina, they smoked them. But where we lived, we rode them. <laughs> but we, li we lived in the desert, and um, it, was, it was interesting. We had two children. When we went there, we had two children born there. Our fifth child was born in America, but he was only two months old. We took him back to Africa. So our kids, like our girls, uh, they never played with baby dolls. 
because they they came home with a, a African baby on their back, <laughs> bouncing around. Because the little girls there, they take care of the little brothers and sisters, and so our girls grew up loving on African babies, and they rode a many a mile on an African lady's back, bouncing around, and and our boys, we then we ended up living down in the jungle, and we tell people, I, I already told you that we had more fun than a barrel of monkeys because we ate them. <clears throat> we had a we had a chimpanzee named Chocolate. Somebody ate the mother chimp. And they came down to our house and had this little baby chimpanzee, and it just was the biggest pet. And so when, when you go out of the house there, now it's not cold like Montana. It's hot all the time, sticky, humid, jungle weather. But when you go out of the house to the outhouse, Chocolate, he was smart. So you'd go out, Chocolate would... He'd wrap both his legs and both his arms around your legs. Well, then you couldn't walk a step. And I'd have to, hey, Benita, throw me a banana. Lydia, give me some pineapple so chocolate would turn me loose. But anyway, we, we've, had a, we've had a lot of fun serving the Lord together. And then we thought, really, we thought when we went to the mission field and God called us to Africa, we thought we would live and die there. Now, some of you people in ministry, you know what I'm going to say. God has a sense of humor, and he has a way. Most of us who, like me, I work now in, in leadership, and I get to go out with our missionaries and do all these things, but, you know, there's a part of us, we still wish we were in Africa. It's a lot less complicated life is when you're on the field planning a church than it is to travel all the time and sleep in somebody else's bed, and, you know, keep somebody else's schedule and all that. But... Um, we, we've enjoyed it, and I just want to start off by saying that. If you feel like that serving the Lord's a drudgery, I'm just afraid you haven't quite understood why we do it. And we do it not to gain His favor. We already have that. We do it because of what He did. I mean, really, our motivation is thanksgiving to God, and that ought to be our first message. Let me tell you one little story tonight, not about uh, not about us, but about a a good friend of ours. The man's name was Russell Turner. You probably not heard his name. Russell Turner was a pig farmer from Greenville, South Carolina. I mean, this was back, he was, uh, he was on the field. He went to heaven about a year and a half ago, on the field for 50 years. But he had this farm down in Greenville, South Carolina. And the way back in the days past, missionaries didn't raise a lot of money. They just kind of went. I mean, we were told, opt out of Social Security, won't be any money left, just go die with your boots on. And nobody ever told him about having a stroke or a heart attack. And some, but anyway, Russell Turner thought, uh, and his wife, I don't know what her real name is, they call her Bobby, that's all I've ever heard. They were going to sell their pig farm and use that money to go to the Caribbean island down in the Cayman Islands. And uh, they tried to sell it, and nobody had any interest in that pig farm. And it went on some time, and finally one day Russell Turner was sitting at his kitchen table, and he said, hey, Bobby, go get the deed for this farm. And she did, and she brought it to the table, and they sat there, and they signed it and walked across the street to Tabernacle Baptist Church and Dr. Harold Steitler, and they gave him the title for that pig farm. Now, I know you are a long way from the east, but if you ever get to Greenville, South Carolina, right across the road from Tabernacle Baptist Church for many, many, many years now, 
is Tabernacle Children's Home, where hundreds and hundreds of young people have been taken care of and, and won to Christ. That was Russell Turner's pig farm. Well, Russell and Bobby Turner went down to Cayman Brack. I mean, Cayman Brack, just a little tiny island down there. Russell Turner was one of those guys. He just witnessed everybody and anybody and everybody on every island around there knew Brother Turner. Pastor Turner, they called him. And there was a big burly uh, sailor down there named Raymond. Rough hands, calloused hands. He owned four or five ships he took. He delivered goods to the different islands. And every time Brother Turner would see Raymond, Raymond, did you get saved yet? Raymond, Christ may come back. You need to trust me. And uh, Raymond never did it. Well, said over a year ago, Brother Turner had been a BIMI missionary for 50 years. But he went to heaven from Cayman Brack. He had just died that morning. He was still in the bed in the house. Somebody knocked on the front door. Miss Turner went out to the door. And there stood Raymond, this big burly sailor. And he said, Miss Turner, would you, could Pastor Turner come out? I'd just like to shake his hand one more time. And she said, Raymond, you'll never be able to shake Pastor Turner's hand again unless you do it in heaven. And that day, her husband had just died just a few minutes before that. Bobby Turner led this big burly man into her living room and won him to Christ. And I'm just, I'm just here tonight to tell you, folks, that happens all over the world. And one of our joys is we get to go out and see it and help it happen. When we get to lead people to Christ, we get, we get to go out with our missionaries, and I get to preach for them, and we get to love on them. Their kids think that we're grandma and grandpa. Well, we sort of are. But uh, that's my story for tonight. I'm going to preach something brand new tonight. So don't panic. I mean, it's not new doctrine. It's just a new sermon. Now, if y'all never preach, you, you preachers would understand this. Preaching a new sermon is like trying to shoot a... But y'all wouldn't understand. The old people would, but the kids wouldn't understand what a cap gun is. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, you put a little piece of paper roll in there. It had a, If it hit right, it... Well, sermons are like that. New sermons are like that. Sometimes they pop and sometimes they don't. <laughs> so I just hope, well, it'll be all right. <laughs> For God, the Lord of earth and heaven, so loved and longed to see forgiven, the world in sin and pleasure mad, that he gave the greatest gift he had, his only begotten Son, to take our place. That whosoever, oh what grace, believeth, placing simple trust, in Him the righteous and the just, should not perish lost in sin, but have everlasting life in Him. John 3.16, probably the best known verse across the world, translated into hundreds and hundreds of languages, uh, wonderful words, powerful words, surprising words. Why would God love us? And we have offended Him. We've turned our backs upon Him multiple times. 
And we might think, why, why did God wait to John chapter 3 and verse 16 to tell us that He loved us? And my answer to that is, He didn't. From the very beginning, God came looking for us. Now look, that's what missions is. Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, they did not go trying to find God. What did they do? They were ashamed. They went and hid. They tried to cover their sin. But God came and God clothed them. And God came looking for them. And God promised that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of Satan. So God didn't wait till John 3.16, but He said it over and over again. Uh, in a, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, and that's not where I'm going to preach from tonight, but let me just remind you, God came looking for Adam and Eve, but God also came looking for Abraham. And in the first few verses of Genesis chapter 12, this is stated, it's not all the verses there, but this is said, God speaking to Abraham, he said, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And the idea that we get from those first verses of Genesis 12, God told Abraham, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave the place where you're comfortable. I want you to leave all your comfortable and, and the, the uh, area that you know. And I want you to go to a place. God didn't even tell him where he wanted him to go yet. I just want you to go and I'll show you the place. You know, that sounds a lot like missions today. Why does God call somebody one place and somebody else somewhere else? Look, that's all in God's hands. I think I know why. I think it's because over there there's somebody that wants to hear. And over here God's working on somebody's heart to go there and tell that person. Because God chose Abraham not so that Abraham and the Jewish nation would be the greatest nation in the world. God chose them so that they would show the glory of God. And over and over again through the Old Testament, you read this phrase. This is going to happen that all the world may know. Well, that's why we missionaries go. That's why we do what we do. So when Lynn and I arrived in Senegal, I told you a little bit of this last night, I think. When we got to uh, Senegal, the people there were amazed at us because... We didn't fit what their stereotype of Christianity and Christians. All they'd ever seen were priests and nuns, the Catholics from France, and there weren't a lot of those there. And the, and the, the nuns and the priests go into a little grocery store and come out with a basket. They didn't buy food. They filled it full of wine and liquor. The priests chased the women. We got there. We had a family. We, my family dressed modestly. They could not figure us out. And so they would come up and ask me, how can you be a Christian? And you got a wife and children. And I would say, well, I'm glad you asked me that. Let me tell you why. I said in the very first pages of this book, you'll call the Torah. It says, for this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. And they, they're jumping up and down saying, I mean, that's Arabic, amen in Arabic. I mean, I mean, I mean. And then I would say this. And some learning how to witness to Muslim, I learned it. I didn't get it out of a book. I got dozens of books about how to do it. Most of them I never look at because I learned how to do it by doing it. But then I would, I would say, let me tell you another story in the same book, the very first book in God's book. 
And God told Abraham to take his son up on the mountain and offer him there. And the moment I said that, they started jumping up and down their eyes, got that big. Oh, you believe that? Do you believe that? We kill a ram every year. They still do. Every Muslim family every year kills a ram in memory of God providing the ram for Abraham's son. And when I would tell them that story, they would just, man, they would jump up and down. I said, well, let me tell you the rest of it. When Yahya came, Yahya is John the Baptist. That's when Yahya came and he saw Jesus, here's what he said to all the people around. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So probably of all the passages in the Bible, and I used all of the Bible in witnessing, but I usually started with them in the Old Testament. Because the moment I got them kind of, can I say it this way, I got them on my side. Because we believe in a creator God. We believe in an all-powerful God. They, uh, they named their children Ibrahim, Abraham, and Dawuda, David, and Eunice, Jonas, and Musa, and Moses, and so on. So I, I probably used Genesis chapter 22, so that's where I'm going tonight. I probably used Genesis chapter 22 in the first part of, well, the whole chapter, but especially the first part of it, more than any other one passage in the Bible. I still use it because it's a wonderful story, and uh, I'm going to call this tonight Abraham's Faith Promise. God blessed Abraham. God saved Abraham. Excuse me, God saved Abraham. God used Abraham for a simple reason, and here it is. It's repeated over and over again, in fact, four times. You know, folks, if it's in this book, it's, it's, it's good, it's true. But when God gives us something four times, you better mark it down. And here's what it simply says. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It's stated in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It's given to us in the book of Romans chapter 4 when Paul's illustrating the faith of Abraham. You're not saved by works. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just get that out of people's minds? It's not by being religious and doing any kind of works. It's by trusting God and taking Him at His word. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. James chapter 2 and verse 23. Uh, so if it's there in the Bible four times, you can believe that it is important. So that brings me now, that's my introduction, but don't panic, okay? If you haven't been here the other nights, you, uh, anybody, how many of you say, I have not been long any night this week, and I know what you're thinking, there's always a first time, I know, but uh, I don't think you'll find it that way. Now, preacher, you're going to have to have your folk put you the spotlights, those, one of those back here coming this way. <laughs> Because if I turn if I turned around and read it this way, okay, but I wouldn't work with it. So I'm going to read the first several verses in this chapter, and I can read it, but I'll do better with this light with my glasses. Genesis 22, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there 
uh, for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now I just have to pause a moment. You can't read this chapter without thinking about the cross. There's so many parallels here. And in fact, it tells us later this was a, a figure of Christ. And uh, verse number five, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife and to, to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I lay not, uh, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by the, his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord I have seen it. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham the second time out of heaven. And he said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of thine enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Well, there's one thing for sure. You can't read that story and not get the picture of faith. Abraham believed God. And I want to just simple thoughts. How many of y'all like simple? Have you ever heard, heard a preacher preach when you had no idea what he was saying? <laughs> we were in Greenville, South Carolina one year. And, I, and this is no joke. I'm serious. I heard, a, I heard a preacher preach on the difference between dynamic and dualistic monarchianism. And I sat there and listened to that whole sermon. I had no idea what the men said. I don't think he, uh, he understood what he said. <laughs> Let me talk to you about Abraham a, a moment and trusting God. And in a sense, that's exactly what you all are doing at Whitehall Baptist Church this week. is exercising your trust, your faith in the Lord. And the, the first thought that, I, that came to my mind was this. Faith and offering. 
Verse 2, And he said, Take now thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there. Uh, This was not Abraham's first act of faith. When God called him and God told him to leave home, uh, that took a lot of faith. Can I just add that right here? When you see these young missionaries and older ones too coming to your church, it takes a lot of faith to leave mom and daddy, to leave the job they've been working, many of them for years, to leave their the place, the, the, the little rut they've carved out for themselves in life. It takes a lot of faith for a man to take his wife and kids to some place when you get there and you can't speak one word of the language. You don't know what's going on around you. How many of you have ever been to another country where you couldn't understand one word? I had two years of French in high school. I got to France, I couldn't say bonjour correctly. And nobody else speaks English there other than us. And I remember going to the bread shop. In France, they have a bread shop and a meat shop and a cheese shop. And I remember going in the bread shop, and I just wanted one stick of French bread. And I'm, I'm doing this. I don't want that. You know, some Americans think if you talk loud enough, they'll get it. It doesn't help a bit. And then when I finally got my stick of bread, it wasn't the one I wanted. And then I was so dumb, I had to reach in my pocket and pull out money and let them take what they wanted. (laughs) I mean, talk about humiliating. God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave your home. I want you to trust me. I want you to take a journey with your wife. And, And then God told him some wonderful things. He said, and... I'm going to bless this whole world through you and your descendant, your son. But he didn't have a son yet. And it was years and years, and he was beginning to wonder. In fact, he was an old man. Uh, when I read this chapter, for one thing for sure, I see this, a faith offering. God said, Abraham, would you take your son and offer him? And Abraham could do it because he trusted God, his his implicit confidence and trust in God was based on the promises of God. You don't need to turn there, but listen to some verses in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now wait a minute. If, if the descendant's going to be called a descendant of Isaac, how can that happen if he's going to slay Isaac? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because God answered it. (laughs) Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And Abraham took his son to a place called Moriah, where years where years later, Solomon built the temple and all the sacrifices were made. And Abraham made a faith offering. Let me draw your attention to something else in that second verse there. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Here's my second observation. Faith not only goes with offering, but faith goes with love. This verse 
In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2 is the first time in the Bible that the word love is mentioned. Now, did God love us before that? Sure, certainly he did. But it's not. it doesn't say that. You see the power of God in creation. I think you see the word, the love of God in coming to rescue them, but the word is not there until you come to this story. The first mention of love in the Bible tells us this. The love offering is costly. How much does God love us? See, you don't get anything that I've said. You don't get anything about the Christian life if you don't understand that what makes us tick is when we look at that cross and realize that everything and the only thing we need for salvation took place on that cross and He cried, It is finished! And it's not religion. It's not good works. It's not ceremony. That's the thing we missionaries fight all over this world. I said it a thousand times. Religion sends more people to hell than anything else in the world. I'm a pretty good guy. I give more than you give. I go to church more than you go. I do. Look, it's not about that. It's about love. And God, He asked a lot of Abraham. Will you give me an offering? Lord, what is it? Well, it's that only son that you have that you love so much. That brings me to my third thought. In the next verse, it says, Abraham rose up early in the morning. Faith, real faith and obedience go together. Early he got up. The next day, obedience demands no delay. A lot of people say it, they vow it, they wish it. But the way to live your Christian life is do it. If God puts something on your heart, somebody to witness to, something to do, God's calling you to be a preacher, God's sending you to the mission field, don't put it off. Abraham got up early in the morning. Do you know that could not have been easy for him to do? I'm not talking about getting up early. How many of y'all are, nobody here, probably maybe a couple, as old as we are. And the older you get, the earlier you get up. <laughs> At least that's what we find. But it wasn't because he was old that he got up. He got up early in the morning because his Lord had told him something to do. And he did it. Well, there's another wonderful progression here in verse number 5. They take off. They have two servants going with them. They have everything they need except the offering, the sacrifice. And in verse 5, And Abraham said unto his young son, to the young men, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and watch it and worship. Faith and worship always go together too. By the way, it's the first time in all the Bible that there were, that word worship is used in this verse right here. Real worship is life-changing. Now, a lot of fake worship goes on today. A lot of people go to church and they have a party and they, uh, they're going, but as soon as they go out, there, it's gone. But real worship of the Creator saving God, 
Folks, that changes our lives. Let me show you how close this is related to missions. I'm going to read the verses. You don't need to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 28, what we call the Great Commission, here's how it starts. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And he spake unto them, saying, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. Faith and worship go hand in hand. And I would suggest this, worship, always right kind of worship comes before work. Because if you're not really understanding who God is and worshiping Him, everything you do may be in vain. Worship first and work next. God disdains cheap worship. Every offering that had to be made in the Old Testament was to be the best they had. Not blind, not maimed, not no, nothing wrong with it. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. And real worship and real offering and real service for the Lord. God wants the best we have. Let me continue on with my thoughts from this chapter. In verse number 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Faith and trust go together. Have you ever wondered, what was Abraham thinking about this time? Lord, I know what you told me to do. Lord, I, I believe you've got the power to bring him back even from the dead, resurrect him. But do you, how many of you think Abraham had all this thing figured out when he was walking? I don't, I don't think so at all. I can't figure it out. I don't know how God's going to do it. But no wonder it was stated in the Bible four times, Abraham believed God. But there's something to me just as great in this. Not just the faith and the confidence of Abraham, but think about the confidence of Isaac. I mean, Isaac was not a little child. He was a teenage boy. And daddy, here's the knife and here's the fire and here's the wood. Where's the, where's the offering? Where's the sacrifice? Son, God's going to provide himself. And Isaac followed his father up that mountain and let his father bind him and lay him on the wood on the altar. I see amazing confidence, trust in God uh, in that story. But then that brings us on to the next thought, and I'm almost finished with this. Faith and provision. When you trust God and you, you obey what he shows you to do, he will provide. The ram was offered as a substitute for Isaac. And that place they call Jehovah-Jireh. It means the Lord sees. I think it also means the Lord provides. If we try to figure out in our lives 
If we try to figure everything out, we're not going to do it. That's just as true about giving, whatever, whether it be your tithe, whether it be an offering to your church, whether it be missions offering, it doesn't matter what kind it is. We can't always sit around and figure out how it's going to work. Is anybody else like us when we come to the end of the year and we realize how much we gave this last year we, and we look at our budget <laughs> and we think, there's no, how in the world did that happen? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense with us. But can I remind you, it makes sense with God. Because when we really love Him, when we really worship Him, when we really trust Him, here's what it leads us to. And with this, I am finished. Verses 15 through 18, I'm not going to reread the verses. Except Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. Faith and wonder. I don't mean like wonder like doubt one. I mean like amazement. Faith and amazement. The covenant is going to be fulfilled. God saying to Abraham, the seed will come. The seed of Isaac will come. And he did come. Can I remind all of us tonight, and that same seed will come again? And my prayer for myself and for all of us would be this. Lord, strengthen our faith. Wouldn't it be great if all of us had that kind of simple faith that Abraham's had? Lord, I believe You. I don't need anything else. I don't understand all of it. I don't know how You're going to do it. But I know this. I know You're God. And if God can create this world and He can save my soul... Look, if we, can, if we can trust God to save our souls, why don't we think we can trust Him to serve Him and preach or go to the mission field or do whatever it is or give more in, in grace giving, whatever it is. We can, not because we have any great abilities, but we can do it because we serve a great God who always keeps His Word. And Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us to have faith like Abraham. And when you tell us to do something or to go somewhere or to make an offering, I pray that, Lord, without hesitation, we would do it. And I ask as we finish this service tonight, if you're working in a heart, maybe there's someone here tonight and you're, you're putting some specific burden on their heart in regards to their giving or in regards to being a preacher or in regards to being a missionary, whatever it is, Lord, I put all those things this evening in your hand and I pray that you'd work as we finish this time together this evening. In Jesus' name, would you stand?